Well, this morning we begin a new segment of Jesus 365 as we begin our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And we invite you to join us from today until the very first Sunday of Advent, which is the last Sunday of November, we're going to journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a collection of the teachings of Jesus. Matthew has it all in Matthew 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. And at times it is delightful and at times it is deeply, deeply disturbing and challenging, which means we do this best when we are together. And so we begin this Sunday with the Beatitudes, and I invite you to follow along as I read them to you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is the word of God for the people of God. And may God open our hearts and our minds and give us the courage to lean into this teaching. Because we are journeying all the way through Matthew 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, that only gives us two Sundays to focus on the Beatitudes. And I will remind some of you... Um, a few years ago, we went through all of the Beatitudes, one each Sunday, and Ken Miedema wrote a new song for us in that process, one each Sunday, and I think those are still available somehow. You can get those on a, on a CD if you would like to listen to those. But we're going to take two Sundays to look at the Beatitudes, and so this Sunday, we're going to take a big-picture approach and, and look at all of them, and together, what is it Jesus is doing? Together, what is it Jesus is saying? How should we be thinking about them collectively this group of scripture that we call the Beatitudes and then next Sunday we're going to break it into some smaller chunks along the way and one of the things I encourage you to do this morning as we look at this this as a big picture the Beatitudes let's back up just a little bit where these occur in Matthew's gospel is very important and so I want to back up to the very ending of chapter 4 to remind us just who is it that's following Jesus and to whom is Jesus speaking when he gives these words. And Matthew chapter 4 ends with this. So his fame, the fame of Jesus, spread throughout all Syria, which is something we forget, the beginning of Christianity. And, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, 
people possessed by demons or having epilepsy or afflicted with paralysis and he cured them and then he'll add and great crowds followed him these people all the way from that point to Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea the crowds to whom Jesus will speak these incredible words consist of crowds of people that the society will look down on and say these are the people who are forgotten by God these are the people cursed by God these are the people punished by God and looking at those very people Jesus begins with Beatitudes and will turn their world upside down and it still is turning our world upside down the term Beatitudes comes from the very first word that occurs in each one of these blessings. In Greek, it's makarios. In Latin, it's beatus, from which we get beatitude. And we have struggled with what exactly does this word mean and how can we convey it in our language and how can we convey it in the world in which we speak today. And so some translations will go with happy. It's their way of trying to convey what Jesus is saying to these people and it just doesn't work for me. Happy are you when you mourn. I don't think that captures what Jesus is doing because he's taking their pain seriously. When people are in mourning, they hurt. And Jesus knows that. And in some way, he is using a word that is capturing this idea that you are the recipient of God's grace. God knows where you are and God knows what you are experiencing. You are remembered by God. Somewhere along the way, in one of those sermons a long time ago, I suggested that instead of blessed in our language today, we might want to think about the concept. It means in some way that you are near God, that you are resting in God, that you're snuggling right up next to God, that you are in sync with God. When the Lord is my shepherd... I can actually be still long enough beside quiet waters that my soul finds rest. So let's try a different image for today and for next week as well. And for that, I'm going to go back to one of my professors all the way back when I was in seminary. His name is David Garland, and, and he loved to work in what we call New Testament background, the language and the culture behind the New Testament. And there are some inscriptions that use this word, makarios, blessed. And in inscriptions that have nothing to do with Christianity, they have nothing to do, they're not, it's not the way it's used in Old Testament or New Testament, this word is found in inscriptions and it talks about people that in their culture they are describing them as sharing in the life of the gods. There's something about their life that is so good and so enjoyable that they use this word, that they have been embraced by the gods. And even in those inscriptions, there's a list of some of those as examples that I'll share with you that I find some of them just a little bit amusing as well. If you happen to have a lovely bride, you are Makarios. If you have excellent children, if you have moral strength, if you have wealth, if you have honor and you have fame, they congratulate you for having been blessed by the God. 
Maybe that's a word that captures a bit of what Jesus is trying to do in this list. Congratulations. Congratulations to the poor in spirit. Congratulations to those who mourn. Congratulations to the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I I think that's getting closer. Jesus does not dismiss their pain. And Jesus does not dismiss your pain this morning. It's real mourning. It's, It's real poverty. It's a real struggle. And Jesus is saying to that group of people for whom the rest of the world is looking down on, in some way, let me tell you about something that's different now. You are blessed. One writer describes it this way. The grace of God meets you here and becomes something that pulls people forward. The the grace of God meets you here, right now where you are, mourning, in pain, uh, meek, humble, in poverty. The grace of God meets you here, but it becomes something that, that pulls you forward into a new direction. That each of the beatitude begins now in the present. That's what identifies you, though, is that you are now favored by God. There's a forward movement to it. The experience of the present doesn't define the future for these people. And please hear this today. The experience of the present for you doesn't define your future. Jesus will say the grace of God is now going to define your future and pull you forward as the kingdom of God is also pulling people forward. So a couple of ways to think about this that we may have overlooked or missed along the way, that these blessings, this is not about what God promises to do to someone. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek. It's not about what God is going to do to someone. It is what God is going to do through someone. Congratulations to the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when God decides to finally bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus has taught us to be praying, It is through the poor in spirit that God is going to do that. Congratulations to the meek, for they will inherit the earth when God decides to finally put things right. It isn't going to be by the use of tanks, but God is going to send in the meek who happen to always be thinking of other people instead of themselves, and they are going ahead of them, and they are building hospitals and leper colonies and homes for orphans and widows. and That's the way God is going to change the world. 
And we need to wrestle with what does it mean when God talks about those who hunger and thirst for justice as a sign of hope in a crooked world. And congratulations to the merciful the way Jesus always balances justice and mercy because we can't have that kind of society without people who understand and value mercy. This isn't what God is going to do to these people. It's what God is going to do through these people and change the world to the way God has always planned for it to be, intended for it to be, and dreamed for it to be. Which brings us to another way of thinking about this. People are going to laugh at this. People are going to sneer at this. People outside, as you go into restaurants and doctor's offices and as you go into grocery stores and as you go into your place of business and you go into your schools, they're going to say it's not the way it works, that the way, the way things change, it's through people who are arrogant, the go-getters. The people with sharp swords, or at least sharp elbows, who know how to push their way through the world, it's those people who have that kind of power, those people who have that kind of strength. And Jesus is looking at just the opposite of that and saying they don't get it yet. They don't see it yet but you're the very people through whom God is going to change the world. You're the very people through whom the kingdom of God is going to become reality, and it's going to take courage on your part. It may even take some risk-taking on your part. And some people are going to laugh at this. Some people are going to sneer at this. Some people are going to be punished by this. Humility and meekness are the marks of real strength. It's going to take some people to stand up to say, you've thought of a thousand ways to make war. We've got to find at least one way to make peace. Some people may even be burned at the stake for this. The real challenge for us today is that even those who call themselves followers of Christ, we tend to put it aside, these words. Unfortunately, too often, even when we hear about the church and the people of God in the news, it's when the church and the people of God have decided, let's play by the world's rules. Let's create change through power. Let's create change through words of hate. Let's create change by using sharp elbows or even sharp swords. Instead of taking the chance walking by faith and risking it the way Jesus did. God is changing our world in surprising ways and we are part of that work. I want to invite one of our members and one of my friends to come up. Sonny, would you please come up and join me?
And let's talk about one of the ways God is doing this kind of work. Thank you for taking a risk on this, Sonny, and sharing with us. Sonny, you're not from around here. Would you share with these wonderful people part of the story you've shared with me over the last few years? Well, I'm from Nigeria, which is West Africa, uh, in the southeastern part of Nigeria. Uh, six months when my mom was pregnant with me, we did not have the resources or the technology to go to the hospital and figure out whether she was going to have a male or a female child. My dad was a pastor, and during a minister's conference, I come from a Pentecostal background, so uh, prophecy was a part of the theology of the Pentecostal background. And during the minister's conference, uh, my dad was told, my mom was told that she was going to have a male child, and this child was going to be a minister. Uh, what that meant was like, I dare not get in trouble. Because those around me, including my family, was going to use that to remind me why my life should be different from everyone else. And so growing up, I was told that, and I wanted to stay as far away from that as possible. In fact, at some point, I wanted to study law. And so I applied for a law degree in college and couldn't get in. I finally got in to, do, to study religious studies. I knew I had a sense of call in my life, but I had no concept of what that was going to look like. And in 1967 to 1970, Nigeria got involved in a civil war. And that is not to say I was born in 1967. Let me just put that disclaimer out there. Nigeria got involved in a civil war that was as a result of tribal and cultural misunderstanding, for the lack of a better word. It was deadly. More than three million people were killed. In 1971, the then military government came up with a program called National Youth Service. Uh, the idea behind that program was to bring people from different parts of the country to go to the other part of the country. After college, you, you're hired by the government for a year. You're sent to another part of the country, country so that you learn the culture and the people and have an appreciation of the people and culture. That way, what led to the war could be mitigated as we move forward. And so in 2013, I got involved in that program, and I then started asking the question that we all get to ask sometimes, what is God calling me to do? And then as the day goes by, the vision became clearer that I wanted to get educated. If I'm going to be in ministry, I wanted to get a, go to seminary, uh, perhaps get a master's degree in that field. And so on the one hand, there is vision. There is vision of what God was calling me to do. There is faith. But on the other hand, there is fear. The fear of the reality that I did not have what it takes to make that happen. I was not equipped enough. I did not have all the resources to make that happen. I had a dream, a vision to go to the United States 
get a, a school, get admitted to study for the Master of Divinity degree. And so I started looking at schools. I checked out Oral Robert University in Oklahoma. I checked out Dallas Theological Seminary. And they had really good programs, really good schools, but the tuition fee was above what I could afford. And then I finally found Master University McAfee School of Theology, to which I applied for their MDiv program. I got admitted, but there is a reality. The reality of the lack of resources. And so here I am with the vision of what God has called me to do, what I'm pretty sure he, where he wants me to go. I have faith that God is able and abundantly able to provide and do beyond my imagination. But then there is the reality. The reality that to go to school, to plan even a trip to any other part of the world, even to plan a trip from one state to the other, you need to have resources. It is part of the planet. It is the crucial thing that you consider. Not to talk of traveling to a different country. You need to plan yourself in such a way that you have everything you needed. And then here I am. I don't have everything I needed. And so I was scared. I began to ask the question that I think we often find ourselves asking. Is God really calling me? Is God really desiring that I make this journey to this country? But I had a determination that I was not giving up. I would keep knocking on all doors until there was no door to knock on. And so I applied to Massa. I got admitted. And I was hoping that I would get scholarship, and then there was no scholarship. Two weeks before traveling, I did not have money. I did not have my tuition fee available. We had put up two plots of land that we had to sell so I could at least raise my tuition fee and housing. The week that I was supposed to come, on the 11th of August, 2015, I do not have my tuition fee yet. My flight was to leave on the 13th. In fact, it was on the 11th of August that I bought my flight ticket to leave on the 13th. Crazy, you would imagine. A bad idea, the perfect definition of a bad idea. What is God calling you to do? For me, there is fear. And so I finally sold the two plots of land, got about, I think, $9,800 or thereabouts. And that money was enough to pay tuition fee for one semester and my housing. I had a vision, I had determination, but I did not have resources. So I determined in my heart that I was going to come anyway. Think about the doors. I would keep knocking until there was no door. So I left, got to the United States on the 14th of August, paid my tuition fee, paid my housing, and then I had $600 left for feeding, for books, for a semester. <laughs> I remember waking up one night with tears in my eyes. I began to question, did you really call me? 
because I found myself in a crazy dear situation. Did you really call me? Was this even a reality that I wanted to be a part of? Oh, no wonder I wanted to be a lawyer. Make more money, of course. But it's called calling you. I don't know about you, but I had that determination and there was that fear. Two months in, there became a scholarship available by the Baptist Convention of uh, Atlanta, of Georgia, <coughs> for African-American students, given a $600 stamp, uh, scholarship. So I walked into the uh, financial aid director's office, and she said, apply for this scholarship. And I told her, it says African-American students. I am African. I'm Nigerian. I do not fit the requirement. She said, apply anyway. So I applied, and then I went and told an African-American classmate of mine that I had become friends with, and told him to apply as well. He did. I got the scholarship. He did not. <laughs> Talk about God's providence. Now, the $600 two months in that I had with me had almost gone out. And then God provided another $600. I had the vision but I lacked the resources. And there was fear, deep fear. As the semester continues, I began to question what, what part, because for me to maintain my status as an international student, I am not allowed by law to go out and get a job outside. I'm new in the country, I'm struggling to even figure out what the professors are saying in class, there is a language barrier. There is all of this cultural shock. Leaving the familiar, walking into the unfamiliar. And then, there is also the challenge of not having what I need, which is the resources. And so I continued to persevere. Night after night, crying and praying. And then I started asking the question, what happens next semester? I need to pay my tuition fee to be legally a student. And to continue to stay in the US legally, I need to continue being a student. And to do that, I needed that resources. I had no clue what God had in mind. I began to ask questions, what happens next? And then a classmate told me, I started looking for schools. Before that, I got in, I told myself I was gonna fast for a week pray. I had a distant family connection in Texas. Let me see if I can transfer to a school in Texas and beg them to stay in their place. If they can provide me accommodation and feeding, God will take care of the rest. I started that fasting on a Monday, and that Monday morning I got a call from that family. And the conversation went like this. Sonny, I don't know how this works, but if you're able to transfer to Texas, we will provide you housing and feeding. The same exact day that I was starting a week prayer to ask for the same thing. And then I had a conversation with a classmate that says, look at Harden Simmons University. They have a Dallas campus for Logsdon Seminary. You can transfer that there and continue your master's program. I contacted the school. I traveled down to 
Texas in November of 2015 without knowing what God had in mind. I got to Texas, and I realized that there was scholarship available for me for the next semester at that school if I get admitted. Who would not want to apply? I would. So I applied. And I had that scholarship. Day in, day out, God continued to provide. And there were hard days. There were difficult days. What is God calling you to do? Would you share with folks for just very briefly, um, he finished Logsdon and then uh, found his way in Knoxville with an opportunity, and now you're working um, at, with Welcome House Knoxville there, but also would you tell them briefly what you're doing with the Knox County Baptist Association? Most people ask themselves what is God calling them to do, and they're trying to figure out what direction God is putting them to. I often tell people that there are three class of people that go into seminary. There is the first group of people who are already planted in a church. They, knew, they know that once they graduate seminary, their church will hire them. And then there is the second group, those that figure out what God is calling them to do, second year of seminary. And then there is the group of us that have no clue what we're going to do afterwards. And so, but... I'm a firm believer that God calls us, while we search for what God is calling us to do, the broader picture, that he's calling us to engage at the place of service. Oftentimes, God finds us at the place of service. And so in seminary, I lend myself to service. I did different areas of ministry, and then I volunteered for a summer internship in North Carolina to work with missionaries that served refugee families. That opened up a new web of doors. In 2019, after the summer, we went to Nashville for a debrief. There, I was told that Cindy Hood had a similar ministry in North, I mean in Knoxville, Welcome House Knoxville. And she was eagerly searching for someone that would work in serving, do life alongside refugees and low-income families. I'm a, I know that God was calling me to missions. I did not have a clear understanding of what that would look like, but I was eagerly searching. And so when that opportunity, I was told about it, I applied, I reached out to Cindy. She told me to send in my document. I applied for that, and then I moved in. Working with Welcome House opened up the door to work for the North County Association in partnership with Welcome House. And what I do at Montgomery Village, I'm the coordinator for community ministry, which is a fancy way of saying I do life alongside people. Yeah. I coordinate with the different ministries in the community and the refugee agencies and the other nonprofit to serve international students, refugees, and our local community people that are going through suffering and poverty. Sonny, thank you. We did not know a few years ago we needed someone from Nigeria to work at Montgomery Village. But we did. <laughs> and this has not been an easy journey for you. It has been a God-blessed journey. Congratulations. But it has not been an easy journey. And I want to thank you for being part of us and what we're doing. I want to talk about you for just a moment after you sit down. Um,
Sonny is now on an R1 visa, religious visa, because he's working in the religious community, and all that has been able to happen because of you and, and your involvement here and your giving here and your support here. Thank you for being a part of that. Along the way, God's grace just kept pulling Sonny. So one final thought. As we are looking at these Beatitudes, we should be reading them through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection. That the cross proclaims that God meets us in our suffering and that the empty tomb pulls us forward into God's future. Can you hang on to that for a little bit? that we're going to read these congratulations that God meets you in your suffering and then pulls you forward into God's future. Congratulations. You are blessed by God. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we open our hearts and our lives and we say we think we're ready. Where do you want to take us? What do you want to do not to us but through us? May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Jesus takes these people who are without honor and gives them incredible honor. And he brings them into family. They will never be alone again. They will never walk alone again. They will never feel alone or unloved again. They are now part of God's family. And in just a moment, we invite you to stand and to worship with us. And how is God pulling you this morning? Do you find yourself in that place of darkness and suffering? We want you to know that God is there with you and we invite you to experience this God of hope and promise. Can we pray with you? Can we share with you? Can we be a part of where you are? Or perhaps you've been looking for that family, that community. We give you that chance to respond this morning. Will you please stand?